talking about this version of Jesus that I'm calling anti-outsider Jesus versus the parable of the great banquet. In this series, we're looking at these, you know, these, these versions of Jesus that have been made up in American culture uh, to promote certain agendas, the hijacking of Christianity, the hijacking of Jesus, and then creating these versions of Jesus. And then we're contrasting that, that version of Jesus with a parable. Jesus. So a parable is a story that illustrates a spiritual point. Jesus often taught in parables. And so we want to see the real Jesus. We want to discover who the real Jesus is so we can follow the real Jesus and not uh, a fake version of Jesus. And today we're talking about anti-outsider Jesus versus the parable of the great banquet. Now, I don't know about you, over the past uh, year and a half, I've had various ways of coping, I hope healthy, uh, with uh, everything that we've been through. If we're honest, probably I've, I've eaten too much and that, you know, um, I'll own that, but that's just me, okay? Um, but there are other ways that I've tried to cope. One of those ways is uh, watching comedians on YouTube. Anybody else? I don't know, just like to get a laugh, you know, like just Googling comedy late at night, you know? And it's better, uh, I figure it's a good alternative to doom scrolling, you know, and just feeling worse right before I go to bed. So uh, one of my favorite comedians that I discovered during the lockdown is a guy named Josh Blue. And uh, Josh, well, he's been, he's been famous for about 10 years. He, he won an, uh, like America's Got Talent show, actually. And then he's been on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. He's opened for Dave Chappelle many, many times. He's toured with Ron White from the Blue Collar Tour. Remember Jeff Foxworthy and all those guys? And so uh, Josh Blue's been pretty well known, but I just discovered him this year. And, and I, I love him. I mean, he's legit funny, but there's, there's something else I love about him. He is a comedian with cerebral palsy. And, and so, like every comedian, he talks about his own life from his perspective. And that involves, you know, being a person who has a disability and, and he laughs at himself and sometimes you're like, should I laugh, should I not, right? Um, but, but part of what he does is he uses his comedy to bring awareness to people who have disabilities. And so I just wanted to show you uh, a couple minutes of Josh Blue. This is from a, a, an event he did with Ron White called Salute to the Troops, um, which is appropriate uh, when, as we're withdrawing from Afghanistan here. And um, I wanted you to see just a couple of minutes uh, of Josh White. So let's watch. Hey, it's not here. Um, uh, it's an honor to, uh, you know, get to perform for the troops. You know, I've, I obviously never joined the military for well, have a look. <laughs> but uh, what I did is I actually was a member of the U.S. Paralympic National Soccer Team. <laughs> wow, where were you guys at the games? <laughs> Could have used those 28 claps. I know that you maybe don't even know what the Paralympics are. Uh, it's the Olympics for people with physical disabilities. It's the uh, second largest sporting event on the planet. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, second only to the uh, able-bodied Olympics. Oh yeah, it must be tough running with two legs, huh?
I love being on that team, man. It was amazing. I got to hang out with other physically disabled dudes. And, uh, you know, we've all been through some of the same BS. So we got really comfortable with each other. We got so comfortable, we came up with this game where we would see who could hold open their messed up hand longer. Ready, go, okay. Uh, oh, oh, gosh, gosh. Uh, uh, uh. Good game, good game. Got you next time. Yeah, so Josh, that's the church edit, by the way. I mean, there are, there are funnier parts, but I, that's, that's the tame version. But I just love watching Josh Blue. And, and it occurred to me when I was getting ready for this, this, this sermon that in the ancient world, the world in which Jesus lived, Josh Blue would have been certainly viewed as an outsider. He may have been reduced to begging. He, he, he would be viewed certainly as less than. And there were even people in his culture who would have viewed him as morally deficient because of his disability. The assumption was if somebody had cerebral palsy, which of course wasn't called that at that time, but if they had a, a condition like that, it was assumed that they had done something wrong and that God was punishing them or that maybe their parents had done something wrong and, and God had punished the parents by having this child. Oh my goodness. That was a common belief. And of course, Jesus blew that apart in his ministry. He said, God doesn't cause people. God doesn't punish people by having disabilities. In fact, Jesus actually said in John chapter nine, Things, uh, a person can have a disability so that the glory of God can be revealed in them. That you can see the glory of God in a person. And I, I felt that way when I saw Josh Blue. It's made me think of that. How the glory of God can be revealed in somebody, no matter what condition they struggle with. But Josh Blue would have been viewed as an outsider. And there were, of course, many other folks who would have been viewed as outsiders. And, and that, that's true today. And so what do we mean by this term outsider, anti-outsider Jesus, this fake Jesus, anti-outsider Jesus? Well, maybe some examples uh, from recent times. So Simone Biles is uh, the most decorated gymnast in American history. Uh, she's won either uh, well, 31 Olympic and World Championship medals. Um, and during the Olympics a couple of weeks ago, of course, you know, she experienced, I guess, uh, I'm just going with what they tell me because I know, you know, I know nothing about this level of athletic ability. Uh, she experienced what's called the twisties. When she was in the air, she lost her way and became disoriented. And, and of course, if you're up in the air and you don't know which way's up or down, you can be injured or killed. And, and so she decided that you know, she needed a break uh, from, from a couple, you know, some of the contests in the Olympics and that she was doing that for her ment mental and physical health. And like seemingly everything in America, the reaction was along partisan lines, wasn't it? Uh, there were people who said, oh, you know, let's celebrate her for her decision on mental health. And there were people who were challenging her, her decision. And then there was a next level reaction to Simone Biles. A Texas deputy attorney general, and that's Simone Biles' home state, by the way, Texas. He tweeted that Biles is uh, a selfish, childish, national embarrassment. That's a harsh thing to say, especially from somebody who is a, a public official talking about somebody from his home state who is a young woman and the most decorated gymnast in American history. And, and 
I'm sure like me, he would struggle to do a cartwheel, right? And by struggle, I mean can't do a cartwheel, go to the hospital if I tried to do a cartwheel probably. And, and wow, what, would, what on earth would possess a person to make a comment that harsh about her? And then on Ballotpedia, because he, he's, he's a public official, the very first word he uses to describe himself is Christian. He's a Christian husband father. And, and I, you know, what, what possible explanation could there be for a white middle-aged you know, Christian to tweet that about a young woman from his home state? And I had to ask myself the question, would he have tweeted that about her if she were white? I don't know his heart, but it's a question that I asked. And then last month in our local paper, there was a report from the, the Chandler City Council meeting. And uh, the council meeting was interrupted by protesters who, who actually, um, they interrupted to the extent that the Chandler police had to escort them from the premises, from the Chandler Council meeting. And this is happening all over the valley, by the way, and over the country, where these protests have been happening over the past couple of months at city council meetings. And these protesters showed up uh, to, to demand that the Chandler City Council stop the teaching of critical race theory in Chandler schools. Stop CRT. And to the extent that they had to be escorted out by police. And again, this is happening all over the country. Now, of course, there's a fact that you would be interested in knowing that you may already know. According to uh, uh, Barb Mosden, the Chandler school, school Board President, Chandler schools don't teach critical race theory. And neither do any of the, of the other schools in the Valley. And most elementary schools in the United States and high schools don't teach critical race theory. It seems that it's become a, the latest boogeyman in some media outlets to inflame people who swear they're not racist. But they just want to stop the teaching of critical race theory that's taught in some universities and, and maybe some schools with a tiny, minute fraction. And then uh, my wife had a conversation with a, a Christian person recently about the spike in, in uh, the Delta variant and how concerning that is. And, and the person my wife was talking to said, well, you know, Delta is spiking because of all these illegal immigrants coming across the border. And my wife, who is not normally a confrontational person, said, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna stop you right there. I'm gonna stop you right there. First of all, that's not true. That's not factually accurate information. And secondly, that's scapegoating. That's blaming people who have nothing to do with the problem. Uh, and, and we've seen that happening a lot over the, next, over the last few years, and it has nothing to do with you know, people coming over from Mexico. And so who, who is this anti-outsider Jesus? It seems that a lot of people have a problem with outsiders in the United States, and then they call themselves Christians. And there are people in America who look down on or who are threatened by people they perceive as different in any way, an ethnic minority or an LGBTQ person or you know, any other group that they feel is different from them. And then those same people seem to self-identify as Christians. And, and the truth is, anti-outsider Jesus is not new. We've been seeing this, this version of Jesus for a long time. The KKK called themselves Christians. Have you seen that meme that's been going around with the KKK, the people in hoods, and then there's a sign behind them that says, Jesus saves? It was taken in a church decades ago. 
And so anti-outsider Jesus is this version of Jesus who just doesn't like ethnic minorities or LGBTQ folks or women, even though women are a minority. There are a lot of folks who just seem to put women in the category as outsider and less than, and then these folks call themselves Christians. But it's, it's not new. Anti-outsider Jesus has been portrayed in pictures for, for as long as we've had pictures. And so anti-outsider Jesus is, is portrayed, you've all seen this, this version of Jesus. He's like a guy named Sven from Scandinavia. He has light hair and blue eyes. You know Jesus is a Middle Eastern man. And, and, and folks who follow anti-outsider Jesus often look down on the poor as outsiders as well. As you, you've probably seen you know, meme jokes about feeding the 5,000 and, and, and one of them I, I have here, I think I have, it says, Jesus is feeding the 5,000, they're all hungry, and he, he breaks the fish and the loaves. And, but, but at the outsider, Jesus says, we can't feed all these people. It would only create dependency. Right? And so there's this, there's this realization that there's this hijacking of Jesus to make Jesus into this person who doesn't like outsiders, quote, unquote, people that these folks perceive as different. So let's see who the real Jesus is compared to anti-outsider Jesus. And we're looking at what's called the parable of the great banquet in Luke chapter 14. You can pull out your smartphone. There's a version app you can follow on the Bible, or maybe you have a paper Bible, and you can follow along if you'd like. The scriptures will be up, uh, scriptures will be up here. But Jesus is invited to the home of a prominent Pharisee on a Sabbath day. A Pharisee was a religious separatist. Somebody who often had disagreements with Jesus. They believed that, uh, like we said a couple of weeks ago, to be pure, to be holy, to be, the, to be on team God meant that you had to separate yourself from people you perceived as different or not holy or not pure, dirty or unclean. And, but a prominent Pharisee invited Jesus to his house for dinner on the Sabbath. And so they're in a room full of people and full, and full of religious insiders when Jesus tells this story. Let's read it. I'm going to start a couple verses earlier, too. Jesus says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And then verse 15, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat the, eat the feast in the kingdom of God. And so, so somebody kind of gets religious. They get super spiritual. They're like, well, you know, blessed are the people who are going to eat the feast in the kingdom of God. Like someday, pie in the sky. And then Jesus tells this parable. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited uh, many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on the way to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, um, I just got married, so I can't come, which is kind of understandable, all right? But that's maybe, maybe. Verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go where? Out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. These are the outsiders of Jesus' time. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go where? Out. Uh, to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in 
so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited, those insiders I invited, will get a taste of my banquet. So Jesus lived in an honor and shame culture, a little bit different than ours. There was public shaming and, and public bestowing of honor on somebody. When the guests make excuses, they're publicly shaming the host. All these are just kind of they're excuses that don't make sense. If you're going to buy a field, you're going to go look at it first, hopefully, right? Unless the, unless house prices are like they are at Chandler, then maybe not. But if you buy if you buy oxen, maybe you want to you want you want to test them first, like test driving a car before you buy it. The guy who was married sounds funny at first, but there was a betrothal, and then there were invitations sent out after he would have been. It gets a little complicated, but it's not really a legitimate excuse. And so, by making these excuses, these guests are shaming the host of the party. They're publicly shaming him. And several rabbis told stories like this. There's actually a, a historical story where a tax collector threw a party and he was rejected like this, ghosted by his friends as a way of shaming him. So the wealthy man threw a party and the food's out on the table, but people are not showing up. And so he tells his servant to go out to another group of people to invite them to his party. So picture this happening now. Picture the, the largest house wherever you live. If you're watching online, wherever you live here, it's probably Paradise Valley, the largest, wealthiest house. And then picture somebody throwing a party in that house. And then half of the guests are folks who stand on the, the street corner, on the intersection, and hold the sign like, we'll work for food or anything helps. And half the guests are those folks. And then half the guests are just everybody else at this party because he was snubbed by his rich friends. And so the other people he invites, when he says, go out to the, the country roads and so on, well, cities were walled in this day. And these are people who are literally outsiders. They live literally outside the walls of the city. They're country folk, and, and they would have been looked down on as well. And so the, 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 bank, the, the master of the house who's throwing the banquet, first he invites the people who are outsiders and destitute and hurting. And then he said, you know, my house isn't full yet, so I'm going to invite everybody else. And my house will be full. So this is one of the many examples of Jesus' teaching in parables that has a twist ending. There's a great reversal in the parable. And Jesus would say it like this. There are those who think they're first, but the first will be what? Last. And there are many who are last, and they'll actually end up being first. And so Jesus talks about how in our world, there are a lot of people who are assumed to be insiders. And that could be money, privilege, race, sexual orientation, any category. There are people who are apparently insiders Religious people. And Jesus says, you know, there are a lot of folks who, who are insiders who are actually going to be outsiders in God's banquet, God's party. And there are a lot of people who are outsiders who are just assumed to be bad or deficient or different in some way. Ah, a lot of those folks are going to be insiders at God's party. So at God's party, the insiders are left out while the outsiders get seat. And so I have to ask myself the question. That all sounds good, right? I have to ask myself the question. I'm a white, middle-aged, Anglo-Saxon Protestant in America. That's who I am. 
I benefit from a lot of the privilege in society. I, I was born kind of poor, but I was born with opportunities. I have a master's degree. You know, I, you know thankfully, I, I have a mind that has, that has gotten me uh, some places. And, and, and I have so much privilege. And so I have to ask myself, uh, you know, I have to do a gut check. How do I really feel about that? Because I'm an insider. And when we're talking about religious people, I'm a pastor. That's really bad, right? I mean, if, wow, so I'm, I'm an insider. And so how do I really feel about, you know, the first being last or the insiders being outsiders at God's party? And over the past few years, I'll be honest with you, okay? Over the past few years, the times we live in have actually helped me to clarify some things. What I really believe in and what's really important to me. When I see the ugliness of racism, when I see the ugliness of discrimination, when I see so much insider treatment and what that's doing around our world right now is the Taliban takes over Afghanistan again. Sometimes I feel like we have our own version of the Taliban here in America. I don't know if you ever feel like that or not. And I see the ugliness of that it clarifies for me, I don't want to be that. So I don't know if you struggle, if you're honest with statements like this that sound good, they sound nice and churchy. I don't know if you struggle, but for me, the last few years have clarified for me what I don't want to be. Can anybody else identify with that? Because the truth is, anti-outsider Jesus, like we said, is an old concept. I mean, there's KKK Jesus, but then there's something else, something that I, I was blind to for a really embarrassingly long time. There's like a, there's like a soft version of anti-outsider Jesus. It's like anti-outsider Jesus light. And I think of it as white suburban Jesus. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's how I grew up. Believing in white suburban Jesus. So white suburban Jesus is genteel, middle class, upper middle class, and too sophisticated to say the quiet parts out loud. Do you know what I mean? But a lot of the beliefs are the same. A lot of churches, you know, the kind of church I grew up in, it's predominantly one race. Uh, I know how they feel about LGBTQ folks. Often I know how, how they feel about the poor. I mean, there's a good game that's talked, and there's donating, and there, I mean, it looks really good. But then, like, does it really address the problem of poverty in the United States? I don't, I don't see those kinds of steps being taken at all. I see a lot of behavior endorsed that makes poverty worse in the United States. And then, like, okay, well, let's collect some soup cans and we'll feel better. That's out of my experience. White, suburban Jesus. And, and so there are pastors who realize that, and they're trying to change it. A few years ago, before we started the wall, my wife and I went to a church here nearby. It's a, a, huge, uh, a huge church, and, and uh, they do good things. There's some other things that, you know, I don't agree with. But the pastor, I think, was trying to address white suburban Jesus. And so we dropped the kids off at their kids' ministry, and we sat down, and the pastor started a sermon. And, and he started by, by uh, prefacing quite a bit. Like, this is going to be a really challenging sermon today. And, and he gave several disclaimers, and he used the pastor voice. Do you know what the pastor voice is? It's like, you know, it's going to be kind of tough, guys. That's the pastor voice. Get the mic really, it's going to be kind of a challenge today, everybody. So just, 
right? I, I shouldn't tell you those kinds of things. That's like insider secret stuff. It's part of it's like a magician re revealing their tricks. But I heard the pastor voice. I'm like, oh, I know what that means. And, and he's, man, this is going to be a really challenging sermon. I just want you to hang with me. Everybody just, just think, you know, be open. Have your mind and your heart open. And, and it, we're going to talk about some tough stuff today. I'm like, wow, this is going to be good. You know, this, we picked the right day to come. And he, he starts talking. And, it, and I wasn't really sure where he was going for a while. He's kind of warming everybody up. And, and uh, a story here and there. And a couple of facts here and there. And, and uh, maybe half an hour in. He, and he's a middle-aged white man. He said, I'm starting to become aware of my own privilege. Oh, that's pretty good. This is a guy who, he doesn't have to say this. So I, I admire him. You know, good, good job. A few people got up. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not embellishing. I mean, you probably think pastors do that a lot. Maybe they do, but I'm not. A few people got up and walked out. They didn't want to hear anything about white privilege. There were several. You could feel the tension in the room. And then he kind of softened it, you know. And, and I'm not kidding. He put a Martin Luther King Jr. quote on the screen. And you could feel the tension in the room, and I'm not kidding. And I thought, wow. There, there are people in that congregation, hundreds of people, I'm sure, who are like, thank God he's saying this. I'm sure there are awesome people there. And I think he has a good heart. So I, I give him kudos. It was, it was sad that you could feel the tension, though. There were enough people in that room who, in their theology and in their social views, were back in the 1960s. They're in the civil rights struggle. They've never been able to get past white suburban Jesus. And thankfully, there are pastors who are trying to deal with that. And I'm just going to share honestly with you. The past few years have clarified for me, I don't want to be a part of that. Now, I, I kind of knew that, I hope, for a while. I've, had a, I've been on a journey for years, like many of you. But the ugliness of the past few years have made it crystal clear to me. I don't want to be a part of that. I want to rise above white suburban Jesus. And I think I'm talking to, to a lot of folks who can probably identify with me. I don't think I'm alone here. And the challenge, there's an encouragement in this passage too, we're going to get to in a second. But the challenge for me and you is, can we rise above white suburban Jesus? Because many of us, that's, that's the religion we come from. And I think we live in a time in which God is showing us clearly what that is and is calling us to rise above that, to break out of that stereotype, to, to get beyond the typical, and to, and to get to something better than white suburban Jesus. And here's the encouraging part, because Jesus views you and me as honorable if we welcome the outsider. People uh, who look down on outsiders do so what, what, because of fear, because of pride, because they want to feel superior. I mean, we could consult psychologists about that, all the reasons. But Jesus says it's actually the honorable thing. The, the thing that if you really want to be proud of something, be proud about something that matters. That's a good reason. The honorable thing is to welcome the outsider. How about you? But I want Jesus to think I'm an honorable person. I want Jesus to look at me and say, that's, that's somebody who has honor. That's somebody who's willing to do the tough thing, the right thing, in a time that is calling him to do this. And in this parable, it's implied that this man did the honorable thing. Remember, he was shamed by his guests. This is an honor and shame society. 
He's shamed by his guests. And here's, you know, what he does when he invites these outsiders could be based on this historical event that lots of rabbis told a story about. It was a, a man named Bar Mayan, who was a Jewish man who was a tax collector for the Roman Empire, which made him persona non grata at parties, but he was wealthy. And he, he invited everybody to a party, all of his rich friends, or who we thought were friends, and they all snubbed him. They publicly shamed him by not showing up at his party. And he did this. He decided, you know what, I'm just gonna go invite the outsiders. And his house was full of outsiders. And, and scholar Brad Young from Hebrew University writes this in a book called The Parables. The good deed for the poor overshadowed the evil things he had done as a tax collector. In fact, he received more recognition in his death for this one righteous act than a pious scholar who was buried at the same time. He was eulogized for this one act of great charity. So in the culture in which Jesus lived, somebody who was willing to do this, it was like viewed, well, this, this like made up for all the bad stuff he did. That's how honorable this was, this was viewed as showing hospitality to the outsider. And Jesus says, you know, this is what it looks like to have honors to welcome the outsider. There's a guy I knew uh, in a church I served in back in Columbus and before we moved here nine years ago. And, and um, he had been a millionaire before the Great Recession. And in 2007, 2008, he lost just about everything. And, and he told me, um, because he was a part of the church and he was getting more and more involved at the church, he said, I've realized something. He was in his 60s at the time. He said, I wish I would have realized it sooner, but I didn't. But losing everything has taught me what, what really merits me being proud of in life. I think it's how he put it. And he still had a nice car and a nice house and all that. He, he lived well compared to most people, but he had lost most of it. And he said, I used to just go around and he, like he called himself a couple of names that are not appropriate in church. Thinking I was all this, and, and he said, I've learned now that what's really important in life is to serve, to get involved and serve people. So he got on a, a, a committee where they had a, a free store where people could come and, and shop for clothes for free. Nothing cost anything. And so people would donate clothes and furniture and all that, and it was just free. And so he would, he would staff that store. This is a guy who was a millionaire. I mean, a guy who had a lot of wealth. And he, he now is staffing a store for people who would come in and buy free things. He discovered what honor looks like. There's an organization here uh, in Chandler called iHelp, um, Interfaith Homeless Emergency Lodging Program. And it's a, it's a partnership between churches and businesses and, and government and, and individuals here in Chandler. And they're the same programs in different cities as well. And, and what they do is they provide you know, essential needs for people who are experiencing homelessness. So there's a mobile shower unit in Chandler. that's super cool, it's a trailer. There are like two or three showers and, and, and a washing machine dryer. And it'd be parked in a church parking lot. People can go take a shower who are experiencing homelessness. And then every night of the week, because of churches and, and businesses and individuals, a person who gets into this program who's experiencing homelessness can get a meal cooked for them and delivered maybe to a church building. And they have a place to sleep. And they'll rotate around church buildings and, and sleep, you know, and they have like these mats, these cots, and, and people will take those home and wash the sheets, you know. So if you don't have a church building, there are other things you can do, and you can make food or you can do laundry. And it's just this amazing program, and, and it's part of a Zend. Um, it used to be Chandler Christian Community Center, and then we donate money to them, and Matthew's Crossing, but maybe we need to do more than just donate money. We're going to be talking about that over the next few weeks. But anyway, a friend of mine used to lead the iHealth program. And 
he was looking for ways to, to support that program. And, and there used to be this restaurant called Carlo and Emily's Deli. Um, I get disoriented, so pointing isn't gonna matter where I am here in the room, but it was across Alma School. And it's this awesome Italian deli. And, and we ate there for lunch, and, and he's like, you know what, I'm gonna ask Carlo if he would like to make a meal for IHOP. Man, great idea, it'd be, it'd be amazing. And so he asked Carlo if he would, if he would cook up some lasagna and then just like send it over, send a plate over, you know, some plates over um, to a church. And, and Carlo said, I'd love to do that. Carlo's 60-something Italian-American guy, so I'd, I'd love to do that. He said, you know what, though? Actually, I would like to serve dinner to, to the clients, to the folks who are experiencing homelessness. I want to make up big, he got excited. Carlo got excited. He's like, I want to make up these big pans of lasagna and pasta. We're going to make up a bunch of, of garlic bread and salad. It's going to be delicious. Put up some of my best recipes. And, and, and then I, I don't want to just send it. I want to serve. I want to go there and serve. Man, even better. Awesome. And so Carlo stood behind the table. I think I have a picture of him. There he is getting ready. There's Carlo getting ready to serve at this little banquet you know, that I helped made up at a church building. Is it the church? That's, it's the mayor's church. Kevin, uh, Mayor Kevin Harkey's church, where this happened. And um, Carlos stood behind the table, and, and one by one, these guests came through the line. We didn't take pictures of them to respect their dignity and their privacy, but one by one, it was a room full of people who were experiencing homelessness, and they came through, and, and the chef, the restaurant owner, it, it smelled so good in there, and he's, he's you know, serving everybody as they come by, and then they come through the line again for seconds, and there's just this glorious beautiful evening. After the banquet, we were cleaning banquet, which is what it was, we were cleaning up and I asked Carlo why he wanted to do that. What, why did you want to, to serve people? Because a lot of people don't do that. They'll just send the food. Why did you want to serve people? Check this out. He said that he, he grew up uh, as an orphan in Italy from ages 2 to 14 before he immigrated to the United States. He said, I know what it feels like to go to bed with like one piece of stale bread in your belly. And I know how stressful that is. Listen to this. He told me, I remember laying in bed at night as a child, looking out the window at the orphanage and dreaming, what would it be like to have a family? And then he, he came to America and has, has had a great life. And he said, if I, can wait, if I can make one of these folks feel like they have a family, then that makes me feel good. Carlo, you are the man. You know, and I actually wrote a press release about him and sent it to the paper and they published it. That why, he had, why he had done this. He did an honorable thing, didn't he? We bestowed honor on him because it was deserved because of what he did. And Jesus views welcoming the outsider, no matter how you categorize the outsider, Jesus views welcoming the outsider as an honorable thing. And just as an aside, in the parable, the, the, the owner of the house says something, so that my house may be full. The word house there is Greek oikos. And it means more than a house. There is a connotation of a family. That, 
that this, own, this owner of the house who threw the party, he's welcoming all the folks inside the city who are viewed as outsiders. This house is only half full, and then he's going to welcome everybody else, all the outsiders outside of the city. And there was this feeling that I'm welcoming them to be a part of my family. My friends snubbed me. So here's my new family. And of course, when I thought of Carlo, how many people go through life, maybe not as a literal orphan, but they feel a sense of isolation because they have been told that they are an outsider. And Jesus says it's honorable to welcome the outsider and to give somebody that feeling Carlo dreamed about that you have a family. You're not alone anymore, that you have a family. And so I asked myself, what would, it, what would that look like for me to welcome the outsider? What does it look like for the well to welcome the outsider? We do our best, but there, oh, there's so much more we could do to welcome the outsider. And we, we, we're dealing with the, the Delta spike and all that, but in the coming months, we're gonna be looking at ways not just not just give money, but what can we do hands-on, volunteer opportunities that make tears stream down your face? Stuff like Carlo did, and with iHelp, and, and the community center, and Matthew's Crossing, and so on. How could we welcome the outsider? And then, of course, and there are all kinds of, quote-unquote, outsiders in some people's eyes. What does it look like for us to welcome the outsider? And here's the encouragement for you and me. Because along with them, when we, when we welcome the outsider, Jesus says we get a seat at the party. This is the encouraging part but also the sobering part. Jesus says, when you welcome the outsider, like, like the master, he had a seat at his own party, you get a seat at the party. The outsiders are the one who get a seat at God's party because we're living in a time that is, that is clarifying what it means to not welcome the outsider and it's gross. We're seeing where that leads and hopefully we don't have to see more of where it leads in the United States, we could. We don't know what we're facing over the next few years. But Jesus says it's honorable to welcome the outsider. And when you welcome the outsider, you get a seat at God's party. And the parable ends by saying, the master of the house saying, the people I invited first, all the people who thought they were insiders. And they just weren't, oh, I'm just not sure about those outsiders. They don't get a seat. Now, we're thinking people, and we could go back and forth about what that means. Obviously, in the parable, the, the owner of the house is God. And, and Jesus is saying here, when, it, when it's all said and done, in God's kingdom, here and in the future, the people who are so convinced they're insiders and they love being an insider and they just can't stand those outsiders, they don't have a seat. I don't know about you, but if you take your faith seriously at all, that gets my attention. And I feel like we're seeing the ugliness of leaving out the outsider. But Jesus says when we welcome the outsider, we get a seat at the party. So can you and I rise above anti-outsider Jesus or white suburban Jesus if you've been raised in that atmosphere? Do we want to be people who Jesus views as honorable because we welcome the outsider in a time when we're seeing the ugliness, the xenophobia of, of not welcoming outsiders. And then like Carlo, if we do, we get to have a seat at God's party. I invite you to pray with me. Oh God, first of all, I, I'm thinking of Carlo and that night 
and how cool it was. What a beautiful event that was. To see folks who have faced a lot of hardship in life and been, been treated as outsiders go through the line and, and be served by the chef who made the food, by the host of the party, who smiled at them and, and when they said thank you, said, you're welcome, my pleasure. And it was just such a beautiful, great night. And I think about that in contrast to what we've seen here happening in the United States over the past few years, this increase, this increase in xenophobia and racism and homophobia and, and viewing people as outsiders and, and, and militarizing uh, prejudice, getting people together to go, to go fight the outsiders. And, and we don't know if we've even seen the end of that here. We don't know what we face as a country. But God, it's clarified for many of us the kind of people we want to be. Many of us grew up in, in churches that, that baptized in, us into white suburban Jesus. Maybe we haven't put it that way, or maybe, maybe we're still on a journey and we kind of see, yeah, I think that's what's been going on, but maybe it's still a struggle. When I read a parable like this, it helps me even more to clarify. I want to be the kind of person that Jesus views as honorable. And there are people who have theological questions, and, and, and there, there, there are journeys that people are on, theologically and so on. And at the same time, I feel the pull of this parable. As a, as a white, middle-aged Christian man, a wasp, I feel the pull to rise above white suburban Jesus and anti-outsider Jesus. And I feel the pull of being a part of something that is so much more beautiful than that, that actually feels like a party, that actually feels like a celebration, that actually feels like good news. The kind of, the kind of party that you're throwing the kind of party where Jesus says, yeah, there are people who, who would just be completely sure they're insiders, but they don't really want to follow God and make excuses. They're left out of the party. But there are people who have felt alone and like Carlo longed, dreamed of feeling like they have a family, a church family friends, mentors. And in your party, God, they have a family. Because your house, your oikos, is full. I pray for each one of us right now who is struggling in that journey, asking questions. I also pray for those of us who have felt alone, like we didn't have a family. I pray for your loving touch, your loving embrace to reach out and be felt by them that they could feel what these words mean, what this parable means in a room of ultra-religious insiders when Jesus says, folks, it's the outsiders, the people who didn't feel like they had a family who were going to be a part of God's party in God's house, in God's family. And may we feel the power of somebody sticking up for us and welcoming us 
And may we feel the healing of being accepted, of being loved, of, of having fun, of having smiles on our faces like all the, all the folks at Carlo's party. And it's just so great to be a part of. And God, all of us have that invitation. We're all invited. And may we say yes. In Jesus' name. And everybody said.